You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. I am very excited to talk to this young man. Uh, Today at 5 o'clock, uh, Highland High School, the Hawks will take on Conway Crestview for the Division Four State Championship. And coinciding with that, the OHSAA will honor and have a ceremony giving the Naismith Meritorious Award uh, to late Highland coach Perry Reese, Jr., um, Thurman, uh, I I want to get into first of all. Thank you so much. I know you're down in Columbus and and all the things going on down there, and I can't thank you enough for being here with me. Oh no problem, no problem. I I Thurman, I wanted to to ask you this. I never knew Perry Reese, so please describe him in a way that I can understand how you knew him. Well, you know, um, okay, he was a teacher there, teacher at the school, and he was our coach. And uh, as young kids growing up, um, he was one of those guys that you wanted to be around. Um, he was one of those guys that, you know, he, in the school, every student looked up to him. It didn't matter if he played basketball or not. And uh, so he was a... He was one of those guys that you wanted to please. He was one of those guys you wanted to play for. And then he's also one of those guys that you wanted to go to his class because um, he, was a, he was a history teacher at Highland. And uh, he just had that draw about him that got people to, to, to want to be around him. And uh, not, only on the co- not only as a basketball coach, but just as a friend. Um, he did so much for a lot of, a lot of people. And... Uh, like I told you before, I mean, he he was one of those guys that uh, um, everybody looked to him, or if, every person had a different relationship with him, but a lot of people felt they were very close with him. And, and so what goes through your mind, Thurman, uh, as you go through, what's going to go in, what's going to go on in your head tonight as you, as you go through that ceremony and you hear... Uh, the OHSAA recognize him and have this ceremony. You, I mean, you know, we we have there probably isn't too many days that go by that we don't think of him. I mean, we're 19 years from when he passed away. You know, he passed away in 2000, and to 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 you know to see that to. You know, you, you you say, well, we, you go back to the memories that you had, and uh, we were down here this last weekend. We have uh, players that, you know, teams that we played against when we were in high school. That's sad. That's a long time ago. But uh, um, you know, you go through each story, and everybody's got a different story. But you just relive those moments. Um, 
you know, you just got to smile. And you, I would love to see how he would be handling the kids nowadays. And uh, but uh, you know, he had his way of handling uh, coaching and, and 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 being a coach. But I would just love to see where he would be at right now. You know, how he'd handle this new social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, we had a big kick out of that the other day because, um, you know, he was pretty blatant when he coached. He was pretty uh, direct in what he did. And, uh, um, you know, or at times we would think, oh, boy, we don't have to have afraid of him. But, uh, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll, be a, it'll be a real nice to see them honoring him in that way tonight. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Uh, and I know you were just a kid when Coach Reese arrived at Highland, but your family has strong ties to his beginning. Um, was Coach the first African-American to to live and work in Berlin at the time? Yeah, I, I've seen that written down. I would say he was. You know, I... It, it would be, I mean, of anybody that uh, uh, has lived there over the years, um, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before, but in, in probably what I've seen written in the papers and in, in some articles, um, he probably was. Uh, you know, our, our area is more of a conservative Amish community, um, Mennonite community, and uh, to for him to come in there and live there, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, what, 19, 15, 34, 30, 40 years ago, so uh, I would say he was, you know. Yeah, and and it's, it's your family has strong ties to, to him at the beginning and through all the way through to the end of his life, correct? Um, we, my family probably wouldn't be as connected with him when he first got there. Um, you had, you had quite a few, uh, other individuals, you know, Willis Massey, who you talked to the other I day. I did, yes. He, he was probably one of, like, okay, so big basketball fan Willis was, and, and with basketball and the coaches coming in there, um, you know, they were very connected. Uh, there was probably quite a few other people that were very connected to him, uh, in the early, early stages. And then as, um, as me and my brothers came in, and yeah, I heard that you said standout. I was probably one of the worst Highland players, but uh, <laughs> um, but you know, as our my brothers and I came through, and uh, then that relationship developed with Coach, and uh, my father became really good friends with him. And you know, he had he had that way, and he was like this with so many different people. That's 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 the great thing about Perry, was that he. Would develop a relationship with you, and you would you would make you feel that you were probably his best friend, and then he had a thousand best friends. Hmm. But he had that connection, and you would see him anywhere. You know, guys down here at the state tournaments, he would come down here. He'd always bring the players down and everything. And then you know, he would socialize with the refs, other teams, coaches, and everybody would just sort of, you know, you sort of just gathered around him. You, you, you hung on to him a little bit, and uh, he did that with everybody. He did that with our family. He did that with so many families. Yeah. And, and when he first got there, Thurman, he was like, you know, why he was, you know, and again, this is a long, long time ago, but you're talking about some people trying to get him to leave, not wanting him there. 
um, and, and he he stuck it out. He, that's kind of the personality he was. Is I'm staying. In yeah, spite yeah. of you, I'm staying, and I'm going to turn you around, and you're going to get to know me as a person. Yeah, yeah, Sa- yeah. Sa- you know, sadly, you have that that stereotype. You see a black guy in in, in a community like like Holmes County, which is pretty well uh, very uh, a white community, and you have him coming in here, and and you have you have you have some people that uh, um, have that stereotype in their mind, and they you know they just. Uh, um, for whatever reason, they 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 didn't want to accept him for for who he was, and uh, you know that, that's 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 the sad part of, of 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 some things. But the great thing was that there was so many people that once he you know he he was there, people knew him, and some of the you know not not everybody knew him in that area. You know, you see a black guy walking down the street or a black guy at the grocery store. Yeah, there there wasn't too many other ones in there, so you they everybody knew. Hey, that's the that's coach at Highland. That's the coach at Highland. That's the new coach at Highland. Yeah, and uh, so them them going through that situation during that time that that probably wasn't the easiest thing for coach. Um, but boy, he, yeah, he, he wasn't. He may have you know in the back of his mind sometimes thought, man, I want to get out of this place. Why am I here? But uh, I never heard him complain about that. I never heard him complain about. Um, wanting to get out of there you know yeah but uh did yeah, you ever was, talk race and religion with him did he talk to um was he pretty you know, upfront with that he was uh he, he was uh, he was of the catholic faith faith so you know we the religion part of it those were some kind of conversations that you'd have with him um the race part of it boy you know, I don't know if he, if he if he ever went there. You know, you know he, that 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 conversation with him um, from a race side of it. I never heard him complain about that. Now he might say, well, "I'm going to be the only black guy here today," you know, or something like that. But you know, of course, he knew that he was the only black person there. There's nobody else there. Yeah. And uh, but he, you know, that never was. That never, that never became such a serious topic that we'd sit there and discuss. Yeah, right? and and you guys kind of lost it as, you know. And I talk often about breaking down barriers by getting to know each individual person. And there got to there, there became a point where he was no longer a black man, but just a man and a coach. Correct? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, you, you'd wish that would happen nowadays, you know, with a lot of situations going around that they would, um, the, the race thing would uh, uh, not be, you know, t- this type of issue that sometimes comes up. But yeah, he was, I mean, he, he you know, he to, to his advantage or his disadvantage, he would never use that, t- that, that type of method. Yeah. And, uh, but boy, man, when he got mad, that was an intimidating person yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> He demanded. He expected great things from you guys. He did. He did. He did. He was. I mean, you loved to play for him. There were days you were afraid of him, but there was nothing else that you wanted to do on the floor was to please him. And uh, um, when he got mad and deservedly so, he let you know, and you, you knew when you messed up. Yeah. I, I let me ask you a question, Thurman. I want a general question. Why is Highland? so dominant in basketball 
How does that happen? Well, I think I think you you start with your coaches. Um, you know, the, the 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 girls and boys programs are you know being run right now by the Slayball brothers, Dave and Mark. Um, both both you know they was there was three of them, Dave, Mark, and Tim. And uh, Tim played for Coach uh, in '85, '86 when he first got in here. Mark played with us um, in '94, '95, '93, '94, '95, and uh, so. Those guys, Dave came into the girls' program around in the I think early '90s, and uh, they are sort of a mold from Perry, and uh, demand hard work, demand great work ethic. Um, but the one thing you have, you have those coaches, which are you know some of the best coaches in Ohio, right there, and then you have um, you know parents that buy into the system, push their kids, and then you have kids that buy in, and if you don't have kids that don't buy into the system. Don't realize the work that needs to go into it. Um, it it'll be very hard for you to to make a program successful. And uh, I think I think they are they are molds just straight from Perry, uh, both of them. And uh, you know his his legacy is a lot of things, but uh, one of the best things he did was he 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 and he put he put a Highland program um, to a certain level where. You know the coaches coming after him uh, know what the expectations are, and the kids and, do, and the kids do. You know, um, it's it's just you know, you look back at 19 years ago he passed away, and you know since then you know, we, we've been to state uh, multiple times for the boys and girls programs at Highland. Yeah, how has he affected you personally? What did you learn? That carries over to today from Perry Reese. That's a great question. I, there's a, there's so many there's so many different things. Um, you know he. Uh, that's a boy. I, I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. Hmm. Um, I would say there's a lot of facets that that that, that I learned from him. Um, his ability to treat everybody equally. His ability to make um, the kids that, uh, you know, maybe there was a kid that was struggling in school that nobody else was paying attention to. He had that way of seeing that kid when he walked down the hallway. Her, you know, he was a girl boy, but he'd be able to see that they were struggling with something. He'd be able to go over there and talk to them. Um, you know, there was so many times he probably did that. But, but his ability to treat everybody the right way his ability to, and if you were honest with him, you know, that's one thing he could not take, is someone that's dishonest with him. And, uh, but it, it, he would treat everybody just so equally. And, uh, you know, I remember one, one of my years, uh, my, my sophomore, my junior year, one of our, one of our kids quit, quit basketball, and uh, our best players, actually. And, uh, you know, as a, as a basketball coach, those guys just quit your program. And you would think some people would be, um, some coaches would hold it, hold it against them, hold the grudge. And he, he didn't. I mean, he was as close to them then as he was when they played for him. You know, they made a decision to, to not play basketball, and, and, and he didn't let that affect them. And so the biggest thing I got from him, I mean, it had to, it had to be, you know, how you treat people um, and, and, uh, and how you go through life, um, you know, trying to help others. Uh, that was him. 
and that's he was a great basketball coach, but he was a, a better friend than anybody. So, wow, and 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 Berlin itself has changed because of him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you. The whole the, the community changed, you know, with him, and then after he's been gone, you know, it, you know, and now and now you have you have kids that are playing right now that never never saw coach when he was living. Hmm. The kids today, the kids today that are playing today at five o'clock, they're they're seventeen, eighteen year olds. They never seen coach, but they're they affected by the, by because of the coaches that played for him that now yes. coach. Yes. Yes. Thurman, I, I, Thurman Mullet, I, I thank you so much. It is unbelievable talking to you. Yeah, you're a. Yeah. When I talked to you yesterday on the phone, I thought to myself, "This is a quality human being," and um, it's a testament to your coach, your family, everything that you've done. But I can't thank you enough for being here and talking with me. Enjoy tonight. Enjoy this. This celebration of of Perry Reese's life. Enjoy the state championship. I wish your your team the best, and I can't thank you enough for taking time on Saturday morning to to talk with me. Hey, we will, we will. Thank you so much, Thurman. Have a great one. Hey, you too. Thank, thank you. you. Bye, Thurman Mullet. What a great story about Coach Perry Reese. We'll continue talking about him. I'll talk to John about it and. Share some thoughts after this. You'll be excited to hear it all. It's the week that was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. You know, I find the story of Coach Perry Reese and Highland and Berlin and absolutely um intriguing from so many different areas and different levels and we have a caller now john has called in and he's got a story uh of perry reese and and his time at highland john thanks so much yes joe yes sir okay thank you for giving me an opportunity to say a few words about our great coach and perry reese uh I was told several years ago, I heard this story, and I know it's true, that when he first arrived there, uh, there was actually uh, some people in the community that never really accepted him. And one night, I guess he was living in town there, and uh, a fire uh, broke out in his garage. It burned his garage down, ruined his car. And uh, I... It seems afterwards that the, the fire didn't start on its own. So uh, that's debatable, but uh, I'm pretty sure somebody started the fire. So I guess Perry hung in, did his job, and he kept coaching. Shortly after that, when the community started to accept him a little more, the Amish built him another garage, and they put a new Chevrolet van, I believe, in that garage to make rest. Wow. And that just goes to show you how that community turned itself around. Another thing that I didn't mention to you earlier when we talked, when he was in the hospital, I think it was Altman up here, I, I was talking to a gentleman one night that really knew a lot about him. He 
He said at calling hours, there was a line of Amish all the way down the hall, like you wouldn't believe, to go in there and see that man before he died. Yeah. What a tribute. Yeah. That's a great story. And I can't thank you enough for calling in and telling it. Let me say this before you go. You are a great interviewer. You know how to ask questions to get the answers. And that Thurman Mullet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What a great young man. Isn't he? Wonderful. And when you ask him that one question that he had never been asked before, he had to think a little bit, but he sure came up with the right answers to tell what the guy was all about and how he left something with him that would carry on in his life. Yeah. I want to thank you for very much for giving me the opportunity and uh, mainly for getting the story out about this great man. Thank you so much. Yeah. They even made a movie about him on television. They did? Uh, they did. Yes. I don't know. You'd have to get on the internet to look it up. It was a special about him, too. And uh, I hope I passed something on worthwhile. You did. Mm-hmm. You you added a lot to the story, and I thank you. Thank you. Have, have a great a day. day. Bye-bye. Bye. I wanted to, uh, quickly, to tell you a little bit about who Perry Reese was. Uh, when a gentleman named Chester Mullet, he was Highland Star Guard in 96, only hugged his mom on parents' night. Perry went to him and gave him a choice. He said either kiss her or take a seat on the bench. That was the kind of guy he was. And Willie Mast, who I spoke with on the phone, who didn't accept him at first, um, who was very doubtful of having Perry Reese in the community said this towards the at the end of their relationship. Most of the petty divisions around here disappeared because of Coach. He'll tell you he pulled us all together. Some folks didn't like him, but I was res- but I he's but I respected more because he respected me. When my dad died. Coach was right there, kneeling beside the coffin, crossing himself. He put his arm right around my mom. She's Amish. She couldn't get over that. When she died, he was the first one there. He did that for all sorts of folks. I came to realize that color's not a big deal. I took him for my best friend. That was Willie Mast, who I spoke with. Um, unbelievable story, folks. I, I, it, it is the epitome. It is the perfect example of what I have spoken to you about so often. When we lump people into a category because of the color of their skin, because of their religion, because of their political beliefs, because of whatever. When we lump people into categories, we do the individual a disservice, and that's what divides us. This is a perfect example of getting to know a person down deep, below the skin level, below the religious tag, 
below all the things and getting to know that person as a person and how it changed lives, how you look at people differently. You don't see the color anymore. You don't see the fact that they have a certain religious affiliation. You don't see anything else about them. All you see is an individual and a love. Perry Reese was a unique man because he didn't fight back. He didn't try and make that his color or his religion a cause. He got to know people down deep and he respected people and they respected him. There's such a lesson there in this story for all of us going forward. And you heard that. Even Thurman Mullet said that. Berlin, Berlin has been totally changed because of Perry Reese. We can be totally changed at the same time by looking at people much deeper than the surface. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. And now, back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. So he's leaving the life. He's come to know. He's come to know. He's leaving. You're a pip, aren't you? I'm, listen, I'll tell you. Going back to find. I play this song just to hear you be a pip. Wait a minute, here we go. Here we go. He's leaving. Leaving. Leaving on the midnight train. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Said he's going back. Going back to farm. To a simpler place. Time. Take that ride. Yes, you're going to be right by your side. Now I'll be with him. I know you will. Leaving on a midnight train. I got it down. I Dude. know. I know. If only I had a voice. I could do it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm hoping one day Gladys Knight calls me and says, I need you. To be to a pip. F- to fill in. I need you to fill in. I can't dance, though. I couldn't do the moves. I just have to stand there. You're the missing Like piece. a statue. <laughs> you know, one of the stories that came out this week was Elizabeth Warren and, and so many others are calling for the elimination of the Electoral College. Uh, he said, we need to make sure that every vote counts and we should just make it a popular vote. Well, you know, I've said this before, but the problem with that is that so many states would be eliminated from any kind of a campaign, any kind of attention, basically everything would be focused in in New York and California and Chicago. So you would focus all, candidates would focus all their attention on main hubs of population. So 
states like Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, on and on, would be left behind without any kind of campaigning, without any kind of messaging. The message by candidates would be focused only on heavy populated areas. The founding fathers knew they had they were they were sharp people they were they had insight into the future and they knew that without the electoral college much of the country would be disenfranchised would be eliminated from any kind of messaging any kind of thought think about our country without the electoral college in the time of a campaign Think about what it would look like with candidates spending all their time in New York City, in L.A., in Chicago, in Cleveland, in Miami, in Dallas, all, all the heavy populated areas trying to get the popular vote. The messaging of all the candidates would be towards them. The people in Dubuque, Iowa, the people in Boise, Idaho, would not hear those messages. The Electoral College allows every vote to count. Not every individual vote, so to speak, but every vote. To determine, and I don't know if people under, if you understand the Electoral College or not, but to determine how many electoral votes a state has, all you do is take the number of each state's U.S. representatives. And, and as the population increases, you have more state representatives. So you take the number of each state's U.S. representatives, and then you add two to it to represent the senators from each state. So that means even the residents of the smallest states or the District of Columbia have a minimum of three electoral votes. So it gives everyone a chance to count. So if I live in a community that's 10 miles away from my nearest neighbor, my vote still matters. If we eliminate that, we also get the fact that now you're going to have runoffs. It becomes more of a British system of trying to cobble together a, a quorum so that you have a majority to, to, to legislate. The Electoral College is an important part of how our democracy works. And calling for an end to it is not the answer to give every vote, make every vote count. It actually eliminates every vote counting and puts our electoral system in the hands of the most populated parts of our country. 
So it's a mistake. Stay tuned. The week that was will continue right after this. It's the week that was with Joe Palmasano. Our number three of the week that was. Some important issues that came out this week. You heard uh, J. David Russ talk about the gerrymandering study. And uh, gerrymandering is uh, happens in every state. It happens... Uh, in every every Congress in every state tries to draw up um, the lines that benefit them. This this is a. I wish they would do away with it. Set standards that were set in stone. Uh, there is a board called the Apportionment Board. And the apportionment board is the agency, the board that is that draws the legislative districts. And whoever controls that board controls the district, controls how they're drawn up. For instance, in 1971 and 1981, when Democrats controlled the apportionment board, they rigged the districts to suit them. And they were able to draw lines that affected them and actually made it easier for them. The Republicans have controlled, in Ohio at least, have controlled the apportionment board since 1990. That's a long time. That means over that time, they have been able to draw the districts to favor them. Do I think it's wrong? Yes. Do I think it's common in every state? Yes. Do I think both sides of the aisle do it when they're in charge? Absolutely. There should be set lines I think we should do it. It's something that was put into everybody's constitution that they're able to do this in the it states throughout the country. They should not be able to do this, but the study showed that it has since 1990 been under Republican control and they have gerrymandered or portioned and drawn the districts to suit them. When the Democrats get in control, like in 71 and 81, they do the same. And so it should not be a political ping-pong match that they play as far as apportioning and drawing districts. That gives you a little bit of detail. That study came out, and and that's what, uh, how districts are drawn and how they're set up. Um, the other story, by the way, it's 29 degrees. You're looking for a high today of 45. Tomorrow's supposed to go up to 53. The Mueller report came out yesterday after nearly two years of the investigation of Russian collusion and everything. The documents were sent, transmission of the document was sent to, uh, 
the Senate, and it was done Friday late yesterday afternoon after the two-year investigation. Here's the details behind that, and here's what is going on. There are no more indictments than what have been done. When the, when the investigation wraps up, the indictments are also done. Um, so what we have is those who have been indicted, those who have been served are already done. So that means that none of President Trump's family, the president himself, um, only the ones who have been already indicted will be indicted. The, the investigation is done. The indictments are done. That's where it ends. So don't expect this to recommend indictments because the indictments need to be done during that time. The other part, if you want to know what's going to happen, you could kind of look for clues. In a letter that was sent by Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein earlier in the year, as you start looking at speculation of what this report is going to contain, the bottom line in this, no prosecutor, no special prosecutor is ever mandated. In fact, they're, they're, they're told not to. Do not speak harsh condemnation of anyone who has not been charged with a crime. The roadmap comes in the form of a little-notice 12-page letter written by uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein last June to Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley, because Rosenstein is the one who directed this, set the parameters for the inquiry and everything. In In the letter, Rosenstein made it clear that he believes the Department of Justice will not and cannot, without violating long-standing Department of Justice policy, include disparaging or incriminating information about anyone who has not been charged with a crime. Okay? So that means if you're looking in this for further indictments or disparaging language, it can't happen. It's, it, it is not mandated, and it is absolutely violating Department of Justice policy. He said in the letter, punishing wrongdoers through judicial proceedings is only one part of the department's mission. We also have a duty to prevent the disclosure of information that would unfairly tarnish people who are not charged with crimes. Rosenstein is emphatic on this point, folks. In fact, he says, he quote, In fact, disclosing uncharged allegations against American citizens without a law without a law enforcement need is considered to be a violation of the prosecutor's trust. 
no matter who an investigation involves, an ordinary citizen, a local state politician, a campaign official, a foreign agent, an officer of the federal legislative, executive, or judicial branch, agents and prosecutors are obligated to protect its confidentiality. So, what you can expect from this is probably going to be disappointing to a lot of people. If a person is not indicted and not charged, the, the, the special prosecutor or anyone involved is not allowed, it's a violation for them to even put any language that disparages anyone or even releases any information about someone who has not been charged. So that's what you can expect when this comes out. Now, there'll be a lot of speculation. There'll be a lot of people throwing things out. There'll be a lot of people saying there's more that should be released. But the bottom line is this is directly from the person who authorized this investigation that went on. So the two years of the investigation are done. The indictments that we have are the indictments. And I would not expect anything in this report to come out unless it's leaked. That would even disparage anyone who has not been indicted. That's a little background on, on uh, what's going to happen with the Mueller report. Um, another thing that came up this week is President Trump signed an executive order to promote free speech on college campuses. Uh, this, is, this is a kind of a little-known thing that just kind of happened, but it goes into... Uh, some of the things that have happened in the past on campuses with Ann Coulter having to cancel a, a speech at Berkeley because she was uh, threatened, other people, uh, th- this whole kind of concept that it's okay to speak one way, it's not okay to speak another. Um, he came out with a 12-page uh executive order, making uh, allowing agencies to use their authority and coordination with the White House Office of Management and Budget to ensure institutions that receive federal research and education grants to promote free speech and free inquiry. This is about $35 billion in grants that, that President Trump has authorized to not give to campuses who are not allowing free speech on campus. And that goes both ways. Under the guise of speech codes, safe spaces, trigger warnings, many universities have tried to restrict free thought, impose total conformity, uh, and, and kind of steer the argument one way. 
Campuses who are not giving equal time and equal free speech to both sides and to everyone could risk now losing up to th- uh, part of the $35 billion in grants that the Office of Management and Budget provides to colleges for research and other studies. This is something that took place this week.